Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello and welcome to Business Reinvention. I'm Nancy Lynn. I hope you are off to a good start for the week. Well, it's only about a few years ago that we woke up to a financial meltdown that put many Americans out of work. It triggered a lot of soul-searching at the time, and we wondered what price some of us were willing to pay to accelerate business growth. We asked ourselves, who do we want to be as a country and as a business, and what's really important in life? Well, now we are closing in on recovery, and many of us have stopped asking those questions. And that's why I think today's topic is an important one. Magazines are again full of top ten lists that measure success by size and wealth. But some leaders are determined to define their own success. They choose to be great instead of big. Someone once said, being rich is not about having lots of money. It's about having lots of options. And these entrepreneurs that we will talk about today exercised their freedom of choice and make conscious decisions about how they want their companies to be different and how they want to be remembered. So what does it take to be great? Well, let's hear from our guest today, Bo Burlingham. He's the author of Small Giants, Companies That chose, Choose to Be Great Instead of Big. And he's the editor-at-large and former executive editor of Inc. Magazine and chairman of the Small Giants community. Welcome to the show, Bo. It's a pleasure to be here, Nancy. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to have you here, Bo. So what inspired you to write the book? Well, it was actually um, a question from a publisher. I had written an article about a company called Zingerman's um, in, that's based in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it had started out in 1982 as a delicatessen. Um, and the two guys who started it, wanted it to be a really great delicatessen, one of the great delicatessens of the world. And after 10 years, they'd actually succeeded. So that um, they came to a crossroads where they had to decide what they were going to do next. And they had lots of options. I mean, they could have um, franchised uh, the delicatessen. There were lots of people who wanted to ov- open deli- Zingerman's delicatessens in other cities. But... They decided they didn't want to do that, 
because they they'd started the company because they wanted to the delicatessen because they wanted to create something that was great and unique and when you start duplicating something it's no longer unique by definition and a lot of times it's not even very good let alone great so they decided to come up with another plan and uh after a lot of uh talking and studying and thinking for actually for a period of about 2 years they decided that um they would they would the way that they would grow would be to uh create what they called the Zingerman's community of businesses in other words they would start lots of other businesses in the Ann Arbor area each of which would be food related and each of which would be great and unique in its own right so uh, today, for example, there's a Zingerman's Bakehouse, which is a world-class, award-winning bakery. There's Zingerman's Creamery, which makes award-winning cheese and gelato. There's a Zingerman's Coffee Roastery and a, uh, a, a Zingerman's Candy Company and a Zingerman's Restaurant called um, Zingerman's Roadhouse. Uh, there are about uh, 10 or 11 different companies uh, that are all part of the Zingerman's community of businesses. And they've been able to attract some really extraordinary people uh, who've been willing to take significant pay cuts because it's exciting to be part of this enterprise. And uh, I, wrote a, I wrote about it, and the article appeared... And I got a call from a publisher who said he liked the article, and he was wondering if there were other companies out there that had, like Zingerman's, had had the opportunity to get a lot bigger a lot faster, but uh, had decided not to because they had other goals they considered more important than getting as big as possible as fast as possible. Now, I'd been at Inc. by that point for about 20 years, and uh, I have to say, I, I thought, gee, that's that's a really good question. Um, so one thing led to another, and I went out to try and see what I could find. That's indeed a very interesting question. Um, and like most companies um, in your book, um, and like Zinkerman, um, they choose not to be too big. And one of them actually said, if it's too big, it owns you. You don't own it. Why well, is that, and what do they decide to measure their own success on? Yeah, I, I, I would say this, though, Nancy, that, that the real point of the book is to, is, to make, is, to, is, to, is to really drive home a message um, that often gets ignored in our culture, and that is that greatness and bigness are two totally different concepts. Well said. They have nothing to do with each other. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, the, the, I'm not saying that in order to be a great company, you have to be a small company. Uh, I believe and I know that there are great large companies as well. Um, but the point here is that a company, what defines greatness um, is, has nothing to do with size. Um, it, it, different people may have different, um, you know, different definitions of greatness. Um, the the people in my book had a, uh, a certain set of uh, ways that they considered great. They, you know, they wanted to have 
um, companies that were great places to work for their employees. They wanted to have fabulous relationships with their customers. They wanted to have good relationships with their suppliers. They wanted to be great citizens of their communities. Um, the, the, they wanted to have great lives. Um, other people may have other definitions of them, but 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 the, whether or not you're big, whether or not the company is big, is a whole separate issue. But it sounds like they're able to live by their own definition rather than by other people's definition of success. Yes, and 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 that's why I I regard a lot of these people as being quite courageous, because there are tremendous pressures. On people and companies to grow. Exactly, and that leads to my next question because okay. a lot of people would assume that it's easy for them to make that choice because, after all, they are the owner in many cases, right? And they call the shots. But it's actually not easy to turn down the opportunity to go IPO or an opportunity for a big buyout. And um, in fact, I think you had a story about Cliff Bar that really yes. illustrates the struggle that they have to go through. Can you share us a little bit about the journey that they usually have to go through? Yeah, well, uh, Gary Erickson, who was the founder of Cliff Bar, um, had started it. Uh, he he had um, he, he was sort of a he was a guy who lived in a garage with his dog and his saxophone and his bicycles and climbing equipment, and he was sort of an amateur athlete. He also had a wholesale bakery on the side. And uh, he went out riding one day, and um, he was he, he he had what was then something very new, which was an energy bar. Happened to be one that was made by Power Bar. It was one of the early ones. Um, and he he went on like a 150 mile bike trip, uh, and by the end of it, he couldn't handle eating another one of these uh, energy bars because he didn't like the way they tasted and he basically said you know I think I can do better so um, he went and talked to his mother <laughs> and uh, and said listen I, w- I want to build a, 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 a to create a better tasting uh, energy bar so they did and they named it after his father Cliff um, and it became the Cliff Bar, and he w- he had sort of modest expectations for it, but it became wildly popular um, and began getting sold all over the place. And the company just grew and grew and grew, and um, everything was going fine until the late 1990s when um, his two biggest competitors, Power Bar and Balance Bar, were bought by Kraft and Nestle. And suddenly he found himself competing with, you know, multi-billion dollar companies and everybody said, you're going to get crushed. Um, and he sort of, he and his partner, he brought somebody in to sort of help him uh, with the business and because he's a generous guy, had given her 50% of the stock. Um, and uh, they both were scared. Um, well, right about that time, uh, Quaker came along and offered them $120 million to buy Cliff Bar. And um, they decided to accept it. And he went to his employees and said, look, 
Um, this is something I really have to do because we've got these really huge competitors now, and we have we need some deep pockets. Um, but I promise I'm I'm only going to do this to protect your jobs and to protect the brand. And uh, then a couple of weeks before the deal was to close, uh, Quaker informed him that um, they were planning. They didn't want him and to have anything to do with the company after it was sold, and they and they planned to move the business from Berkeley, California, where it's located, to the Midwest. So suddenly he's in this situation where he sort of lied to his employees. And the day came when uh, the deal was supposed to be signed, and, and he was waiting in his office with his partner, and uh, he suddenly got a panic attack, and he said, uh, he, he said to his partner, listen, wait a second, I have to, I have to go get some fresh air. And so he started, he, he walked out of the office and started walking around the block. He got halfway around and, uh, he was feeling so bad about what he was about to do that he was actually in tears. Um, and then he walked a little further and a thought occurred to him, wait a minute, I haven't signed anything. Well, suddenly he felt a lot better and, he walked back to his office and he said to his uh, partner, you know, send them all away. Um, I'm not going to do this deal. I'm not going to sign it. The, the problem was that the partner by that point had already uh, was sort of counting on the $60 million and um, wanted to go through with the deal. So we wound up having to do a deal with her and, you know, by all, everybody was telling him he was absolutely crazy because now not only did he have these big competitors, but he had this huge amount of debt um, that he had to uh, cover. And wow, that sounds like a huge challenge, and we're going to hear about how he actually addressed that challenge when we come back from sounds the short break. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin, and we will return right after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email nancylin at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. 
Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call one 866 472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Welcome back to Business Reinvention. We are speaking with Bob Burlingham, editor-at-large of Inc. Magazine and author of Small Giants. So before the break, though, we were talking about the story of Clipart and how they were facing the challenge of staying true to their mission, but also how to fend off um, competition. Um, so can you, can you tell us a little bit more about what they ended up deciding to do? Well, when they, um, you know, when he made, when Gary Erickson made this uh, rash decision to um, call off the sale and then found himself in a situation where he had to actually figure out how to pay off his erstwhile partner, uh, which wound up costing him $80 million. Uh, everybody thought he was crazy uh, and that there was no way he could possibly survive. But, um, in fact, he not only survived, but he flourished. Uh, one of the first things that he did was he he went to his... Well, actually, what happened was that he, he, went, he went to a trade show and uh, there was somebody there who'd heard about what he'd done and was sort of impressed by it. And uh, his booth, there was a lot of activity around, and the guy um, came up to him and introduced himself and was complimenting him and uh, point at the trade booth of one of his uh, competitors, which was dead by comparison, and said, well, you know, um, they really lost their mojo. So uh, Gary said, well, gee, Mojo, what's that? I, I guess that's something important. That's something I should pay attention to. And uh, he went back and he got all of the, he talked to all of his employees. He had them all do an exercise to uh, ask if, if, and he asked them to write down if they knew any companies that had Mojo and had lost it, and if so, why they had lost it. And... Um, and and they they all wrote back, and some of them said that that Cliff Bar before the sale had had been losing its mojo. And then he asked them all to uh, write down um, whether or not Cliff Bar now had mojo, and if so, what it needed to do to preserve it. And uh, he took all the responses and he put them together in a big book, and uh, that was really the beginning of trying to uh, of, of of bringing back uh, Cliff Bar and the spirit of Cliff Bar. Well, to make a long story short, over the next three years, um, Cliff Bar tripled in size. Uh, it paid off the entire. Uh, debt that it had taken on, and it absolutely thrived, and it's still thriving to this day. It's, you know, wow, what a great story! And going back to what you said, you know, to wanted to stay true to your mission actually takes a lot of courage, but also a lot of clarity. Right. 
Yeah, and um, a lot of time the sense of challenge actually turns into motivation, and that drives um, exceptional growth in some cases. Right. Which sounds like the case here. Um, but once they have clarity about you know who they want to be or how they want the company to be, it seems like the entrepreneurs in your book actually have different uh, philosophy about how to run their business. For example, some like to hire people who are related to each other and others are dead against that. Mm-hmm. And then you have one insist on keeping the employee size at about 50 and then others wanted to stay in the same community even as they grow. Mm-hmm. So they are all very different in some way, but what do they have in common that help them remain small and yet profitable and successful? Well, you, you just made a very, very important point, which is that, is that these are a very uh, diverse group of companies in different industries, uh, different, the people come from different places. They uh, arrived at their beliefs uh, by very different routes, uh, and yet they all wound up um, with something in common, and it's what I describe in the book as uh, bar- taking the term from Gary Erickson as, as mojo. They all have that mojo, which I define as the uh, business equivalent of charisma. When a leader has charisma, you want to follow him or her. When a business has mojo, you want to be associated with that business. You want to buy from it. You want to sell to it. You want to work for it. You want to wear its T-shirts and caps. You want to read articles or books about it. It's basically what you feel when you're in the presence of greatness in business. And my book is, in, on, on one level, it's, it's really uh, a discussion of where, when I look at these companies, where that mojo comes from. Mm. And I, I came up with five characteristics that I write about in the book. Um, one was one you just identified, which is these were all uh, companies whose leaders had a very clear understanding of who they were, what they wanted out of business, and why. Uh, they couldn't have made the decisions that they made. You know, somebody like Gary Erickson couldn't have walked away from that deal if he didn't know who he was, what he wanted out of business, and why. Uh, the second was that they all had these very, very intimate relationships with the communities in which they did business. And they gave back a lot to those communities, and to a large extent, their, their personality of the companies was molded by these communities. Um, the third really had to do with their relationship with customers and suppliers, which struck me because it was so personal. Um, they really went out of their way to establish personal one-on-one contact with customers and suppliers, even if they had hundreds of thousands of of customers. They they still did things to preserve a kind of a intimacy with their customer base. Uh, the fourth characteristic was interesting in that um, the customers actually came second. It was the employees who came first, which is, uh, when you think about it, not that difficult to understand because uh, after a company gets above a certain size, you know, it's not the CEO or the owner who's uh, having the relationships with the customers, it's the employees. And if, if you want to have great relationships with your customers, then it's important that the employees feel like that, feel like they want to have those kind of relationships with the customers as well. And in order for that to happen, the employees have to feel as though the company really cares about them. 
Um, so that was the that was the fourth characteristic. The fifth characteristic that I write about in the book has to do with the way that the leaders feel about whatever it is that their companies do. Um, they they are absolutely crazy about it. I mean, they are passionate. They are so passionate about. They want everybody that they uh, come into contact with to get as excited about it as they are. Um, and so, you know, somebody like Fritz Maytag at Anchor Brewing uh, knew nothing about beer when he bought the company, but when I talked to him, you know, he would just go on and on about the history of beer and how hops transformed the beer industry, and he could just, you know, how democracy was fostered in the breweries of Northern Europe and so forth and so on. So that was that was the fifth characteristic. Now, I have to admit that, that, that uh, I discovered afterwards that there was a sixth characteristic, which uh, uh, I should have uh, focused on. And if I do another edition of the book, there'll be a whole chapter on it. And that really has to do with the financial uh, characteristic of a small giant, which is. And what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that um, I realized when one of the companies I wrote about got into very serious trouble um, very shortly after the book came out and really lost its mojo in a very short period of time, uh, I was, you know, I was, of course, surprised and chagrined and sorry to hear about it. And I went and wrote an article for Inc. Magazine about it. Uh, it's called Paradise Lost. If you Google Paradise Lost and my name, Bo Burlingham, uh, you can find it online. Um, it, the company was Rail Precision Manufacturing, which is a company that had really made its uh, fortune. Uh, well, it had, had two major lines. One was sort of hinges on laptop, uh, on hinges on um copiers, photocopiers, and the other was uh, the hinges on laptop computers that sort of keep the, you know, the top from falling down. They're called constant torque hinges. And it had been in business for about 30 years, had in a really extraordinary cu- uh, culture. It was probably the most democratic uh, company I'd ever run into. Um, and uh, I wrote about it um, in at some length in small giants, uh, but um, I discovered afterwards that um, you know when I went to investigate what had gone wrong at Riel, that it really boiled down to a uh, one decision that the company had made. Um, which was that when when laptop manufacturing went from the United States uh, to Asia, uh, they decided to they, they were afraid that if they didn't, um, even though they'd be when they, when the laptop manufacturers in the United States they were dealing with you know Compaq and Hewlett Packard and Apple and so forth. Uh, when it went offshore. They were now dealing with Asian manufacturers, and they decided that they had to uh, keep sell, trying to sell to those manufacturers um, because if they didn't, they might have to lay people off. Problem was that that was an entirely different market, and there was a 
sort of cutthroat competition, um, and they were up against local suppliers uh, who were able to undercut them on price. And they made a key mistake, which was they decided that they would get into the business of competing on price. The result was that their uh, margins uh, got smaller and smaller, their profit margin, particularly their gross profit margins, to the point where when I went to see them uh, to write my article for Inc., uh, they were making more laptop hinges uh, than ever, but they were losing money on every single one of them. And what happened was that, I mean, they could not maintain the extraordinary culture that they had developed uh, under those circumstances. Um, you know, when you don't have the money to support that kind of a culture, it goes away. And that's what had happened. Um, and so I realized that, that there was a, there was, there was a sixth characteristic that's crucially important. And that is that to be a small giant, you need to have a sound business model, a healthy balance sheet, and steady gross margins that you protect. Yeah, that's definitely a great business lesson. And let's continue with this conversation after this show break. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Please stay tuned, and we will be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email nancylin at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, 
Back to Business Reinvention. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Bo Bullingham, the author of Small Giants, Companies That Choose to Be Great Instead of Big. He's also the editor-at-large of Inc. Magazine. So, Bo, before um, our show, you talk about, uh, our last break, um, you talk about one of the key things about um, these companies that they really care about their employees, their customers, and their community at very personal level. But a lot of people um, working at tech companies in Silicon Valley that also offer great, you know, employees, um, start options, massages, and 401ks may argue that they also have great um, employee benefits and they care about their um, employees. But one thing I also noticed is that after a while, um, the employees seem to take it for granted because it seems like everybody else in the tech world is providing great benefits, um, at least in the Silicon Valley. But for the companies in your book, they seem to take it further than that. They focus on enhancing the lives of those who work there, but they also really go out of their way to send the message that they care. How are they doing it differently? Well, there, there are various techniques that the companies use, and, and they're different. Um, I mean, they basically operate by the same philosophy that Herb Kelleher had at um, Southwest Airlines um, when you know he was asked why was it that Southwest was so much more uh, successful. In fact, it, at one point, and maybe even today, it was more valuable than the other top seven. Uh, airlines combined, uh, and he was asked what the secret of it was, and he said, "Well, it's our culture, of course." And and when the, when he was asked what the secret of the culture was, he said, "It's caring for people in the totality of their lives. In other words, not just as employees, but as human beings." And and that was really the, what I found with all of these companies that they. You know, established what I call in the book cultures of intimacy, um, that they were able to, um, you know, create these very uh, intimate bonds uh, between. Well, actually, they promoted a certain kind of collegiality among the employees. Um, now, the issue that you raised, which is um, the sense of entitlement that uh, often develops when all you're doing to create, you know, when, when it's like with what often happens with profit sharing, which is that the first year that you have it, uh, everybody says, oh, wow, this is great, profit sharing. Uh, the second year they say, oh, yeah, okay, this is what we did last year. And the third year they say, where's my profit sharing? Exactly. And... Um, what happened that arises when people don't really understand where the profit sharing is coming from mm-hmm. or how they've earned it um, and the most effective tool for doing that which several of the companies in small giants do um, uh, the actually the pioneer of the technique is another company that I've written about some length called Springfield uh, remanufacturing corporation uh, is, is the practice of what's called open book management. Um, in fact, uh, SRC has developed a particular form of open book management, which is particularly effective in terms of getting everybody engaged in and understanding uh, 
uh, the, the, you know, what it takes for the business to be successful, uh, how each individual contributes to its success, and how everybody else counts on them to be uh, contributing. Um, and that is something that provides, uh, well, it does a lot of different things. One thing it does is that it, it gives the business a kind of a strength that's uh, very hard to obtain otherwise. I mean, the companies that uh, have done best, that I know that have done best during the recession, got through it uh, with, with, you know, the most successfully uh, without un- uh, undergoing major layoffs or anything, uh, were companies that practiced uh, open book management, and particularly companies that used the SRC um, version of it, known as the Great Game of Business. Um, so, and I actually wrote a book with the uh, founder of SRC, co-founder of SRC, and the CEO Jack Stack. Uh, uh, called the great game of business, which you know I'd recommend to people who are curious in finding out more about it. But once you have, once you create, as Jack says, a, a business of business people, where you treat people as if they are grown-ups. In other words, it's not just that you shower them with goodies, uh, which, as you say, leads to often to an entitlement mentality, but you treat them as grown-ups who are capable of understanding, you know, exactly what needs to be done in order for the business to be successful and shares the rewards so that when the business is successful, you know, they're, they're part of it. Um, that's that's really I, I would say the most important factor uh, in 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 creating a a, a great and long lasting culture. There well, are other things, but. Yeah, and I think um, you also gave some examples in your book about how they surprise people with um, you know different um, benefits upon um, you know special achievement that they have. And I think listeners can check out your book um, for examples like that. I think they're a really great example. And I also want to call out an article um, in your magazine actually a few months ago by Jeffrey James. Um, he created his 10 questions that create success that I thought actually kind of underscore the characteristics of the um, companies that you mentioned in your book. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to read some of them um, for the listeners so they get a picture. Um, one, have I made certain that those I love feel loved? Number two, have I done something today that improved the world? Number three, have I conditioned my body to be more strong, flexible, and resilient? Number four, have I reviewed and honed my plans for the future? Number five, have I acted in private with the same integrity I exhibit in the public? Number six, have I avoided unkind words and deeds? Number seven, have I accomplished something worthwhile? Number eight, have I helped someone less fortunate? Number nine, have I collected some wonderful memories? And number ten, have I felt grateful for the incredible gift of being alive? Well, those are great. Of course, for, for those to be effective, you have to have established uh, a certain level of trust and respect inside the company. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, the, the big danger or the, what happens sometimes, I mean, I've worked with companies where 
um, you know, they've done a lot of stuff for the employees, and the employees get cynical about it. They say, they say, oh yeah, this is just some way to get us to work harder for less money. Mm. Um, and that's a barrier that uh, you have to overcome. Uh, and the way that you overcome it is by, uh, you know, it, it, it all comes down to trust and mutual trust and respect. Mm. And I think the leaders in your book really show um, authenticity, and I think that's how they gain trust as well. Right. But, of course, the downside of having great leaders in the company is that they are very hard to replace. <laughs> and there are some challenges that companies face in regards to succession plans. What are they? Well, it's it, it it actually goes beyond succession plans because uh it, you know, we're dealing here with privately owned companies. And uh so there're two issues. There's a you know, at some point the owners uh uh are going to leave um, and the companies are going to be sold that's true every company sooner or later well every owner sooner or later exits uh, and every company gets sold now the owner may exit feet first um, you know that's one way to exit uh, it usually creates lots of problems for everybody else so the secret really is to I mean the thing that needs to be done and that um, is really critically important is to um, understand how to leave uh, in a way that um, you know in, in a way that 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 you feel comfortable about and if if, if your goal has been to create a great business that's going to last, beyond you after your own departure that's something that requires a huge amount of preparation um, the companies that I know that do it the best um, you know they basically have been thinking about this from the very beginning mm. um, and I, I will say this, that all of the company, you know, changes have happened with all of the companies in my book um, since the book came out. I mean, the book came out in, uh, uh, you know, 2006, I guess. And, uh, um, you know, life goes on. Um, Anger Brewing, for example, was sold. Why? Well, Fritz Maytag got to a certain age where he realized he wasn't going to live forever, and he wanted to do right by the company that would preserve the culture and protect the employees. And so he searched long and hard and eventually found uh, a group that would buy it and that he felt really um, had the best interests of, of the brand and the employees at heart. Um, Danny Myers, one of the companies in the book is uh, Union Square Hospitality Group, which is oh probably one of the most successful restaurant companies in the country. Um, the CEO and founder is a fellow named Danny Meyer. Um, well, that that's a company that's really grown a whole lot since. Um, 
So it sounds like there are different um, options um, that leaders can go about to preserve company culture. So let's hear more about that when we come back because it looks like we have to take another break. Um, you're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Please stay tuned and we will be right back. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Welcome back. We are talking about the book, Small Giants, Companies That Choose to Be Great Instead of Big. And with us today is Bo Billingham, the author and also the editor at Large at Inc. magazine. So, Bo, before the break, we were talking about different options that companies can consider um, to preserve their culture after their leaders leave. Um, because in a lot of cases, the leaders are the ones who created that culture, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a huge transition for them. So what are some of the options companies can consider? Well, I, I, would, I would say that... Uh the, yes, the leaders uh, are uh, are the are essentially the creators of the culture. And if the leader wants the culture to last to last after she or he leaves, um, it requires a tremendous amount of preparation and training. I mean, one option which uh, people will hear about is selling to an ESOP. Um, that is an employee stock ownership plan. In other words, you sell the company to the employees. That can that can work, but it only works if uh, you do a lot of other stuff along with it, including practicing open book management. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other than that, um, probably your best bet, I mean, it's there are companies, obviously, that start out as small private companies and become great big companies. You know, you look at a company like Microsoft. Well, you know, Bill Gates um, started out as a, uh, a coder, um, and the company he the company went public, and uh, by the time he left, it was uh, the business with the highest capitalization uh, in the world, um, and he learned how to uh, run that company. Uh, but that requires an extraordinary amount of um, energy. Uh, I, actually, I'd re- I, w- I would widely recommend uh, Jim Collins's new book, uh, Great by Choice, which really looks at companies. There are a lot of companies that started out small that become great big companies despite uh, the turbulence uh, around them. And uh, he's got lots of uh, great insights into the uh, characteristics, into what companies can do if, if they really want to last. Now, it's not the only option, obviously. There are other things you can do. You can, you can, you can do a management buyout. You can, if you're lucky, you can maybe uh, have, have turn the company into a family business. I have to say that I looked very hard um, for for companies that uh, have managed to preserve their culture beyond the second or third generation, and the only uh, ones that I found that weren't public companies were either family-owned businesses or employee-owned businesses. Other than that, you know, the culture tends to go away. Mm. It's the new owner that determines the culture. And you also began to talk about, you know, what happened to some of the companies after you published the book. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like some of them had luck in terms of finding another company that has similar culture. Um, what happened to the other ones that might have taken different options? Well, I mean, there are companies that uh, don't have such good luck in, 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 and uh, where the, the culture does not last. Um, and, you know, there are some people who feel, well, that's okay, that the their purpose was to create a great culture, and their hope is that the employees will take what they've learned in the business and take it with them wherever they go next. And I think that that's a perfectly legitimate way to look at it. Mm. Um, so yeah. it's it's not as if um, you're, you're somehow, uh, you know, a failure if 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 the culture does not last be, beyond you. It all depends on what your goals are and what you want to do. Um, and um, if what you if if it is important to you to have the culture last beyond you, then uh, it's something you should begin preparing today. Mm, very uh, good point. And of course, and, and, one of the ways. Frankly, to... if if you could figure out a way to begin preparing yesterday, I'd I'd advise that too. <laughs> and of course, one of the ways to deal with challenges is to have support group. And you now head up the Small Giants community. Um, how has it helped entrepreneurs to build better companies? Well, the Small Giants community is really sort of bringing together uh, companies that really share the uh, 
uh, goals and values of the companies that I wrote about in the book. Um, when, after the book came out, I, I heard from a lot of people that they wanted to be in touch with other companies. You know, it's 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 because these are all private companies. There's really no um, not necessarily a forum where they can meet each other and talk to each other and learn from each other. And that was the purpose in forming the Small Giants community. It's now um, quite large. It uh, has chapters in many different countries. Uh, and, in fact, we're going to have a conference coming up at the end of June in San Francisco called the Small Giants International Summit. It's the second one. We had one last year in Germany with uh, people from 12 countries, and you can find out more about it at uh, uh, the website, which is smallgiants.org. That's wonderful, and um, we only have a few minutes left, and um, I'm going to ask the last two questions we have here. I know you're also working on a new book. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's really the question we were talking about before. It's about exiting. Uh, your business, and it's um, really sort of dealing with the question of how do you get out with your money and your honor. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of what's out there about exiting is basically how to, you know, get the most money out of it, and that's certainly important, um, you know, that you get the reward uh, as an owner uh, that you've earned. Uh, for all the work that you've done in building the company, but um, really that constitutes about 20 to 30% of the experience, and the other 70 to 80% is emotional. Mm, um, definitely. And, Sounds like uh, going to be another really great that's book. That's what I'm focusing on. Um, so, of course, I can't let you go without asking you for your insight on what the top three business trends will be for 2012. What are they? Well, um, uh, well, okay. Number one, I would say is that there's, there's, there is a, a major change that's happening in the economy, which we see happening around us, which you know has to do with social media and the internet and so forth. Where uh, I have the sense that um, a, a lot is uh, changing right now. You know where. Um, Really, what's happening is that networks are becoming extremely important. Uh, customers are beginning to play a much larger role in companies. And if you want to be out in front of this trend, you really have to uh, read up on it and look about, look at it and think about it um, because it's going to, you know, it's a fundamental change that uh, is going to affect everybody and uh, is something that you need to look at. Um, a second one, um, you know, quite frankly, is uh, has to do with the regulatory environment uh, which uh, people face. Uh, it's uh, what I hear uh, wherever I go is that it's getting more and more difficult. People are more and more concerned about it, that it's had an effect on uh, startup generation, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's just something that you can't get away from. And yeah, so it look, looks like that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Sure. Thank you, Nancy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Barry Posner, author of Leaders Legacy, said in his book, quote, The legacy you leave is the life you lead. When we move on, people do not remember us for what we do for ourselves. They remember us for what we do for them. And one of the great joys and great responsibility of leaders is making sure that those in their care live lives not only of success, but also of significance, end quote. Many business leaders wait until they are close to retirement to think about how to build a legacy. And I hope today's program serves as a reminder for us to take a moment and think about the reason why we are in the business that we are in and the legacy that we want to build. So thank you for listening to Business Reinvention on Voice America. You can now download Voice America's app onto your cell phone so that you can listen to our programs even when you are on the go. For more news about business innovation, please visit my site, thisreinvention.com. And if you have questions or comments, feel free to email me at radio at thisreinvention.com. Please join me again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Thank you for tuning in again and join the rest of your week. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week. Want to know what's going on behind?